Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you offered me that much money to work for you, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is the Friday, August 7th, 2015, Even I Hate Poor People Now episode of the show, where we talk about income equality in America and why us poors will suck it up for just a little bit more money. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Unum Sintum. That's Latin for one out of 100, you ill-educated cretin. Creating jobs for the peasantry for 5,000 years. Are you pathetic, unwashed, and ungrateful peon grubbing in the dirt for the meager pittance we grant, and are you damn glad to have what little we do give you? You're welcome. The Unum Centum. We don't care what you think. Why should we? If you would like to sponsor the show, <laughs> what are you going to use, your government cheese? Ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind, and greed... You mark my words. Will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. There's an old saw that says, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're middle-aged, you have no brain. I, dear listeners, am 46 years old, and I did this completely backwards. When I was a young man, I was a Reagan-American flag-waving, military-joining, Lee-fucking-Greenwood, proud-to-be-an-American, flag-lapel-pin-wearing, Limbaugh-listening conservative. At 46, I'm a Roosevelt-American. The flag is just a symbol. Disenchanted veteran. Bruce-fucking-Springsteen, born in the USA. Hey, conservatives, have you ever listened to that song? I don't think you have. And I don't even have a lapel to pin a flag on. Fox News-hating liberal. I'm guessing some of you might have noticed that from the previous 19 episodes. Oh, but boy, is that about to change. See, I just got me a brand new job working in finance. That's right, Dave has joined the dark side. You thought I was going to use a Star Wars drop, didn't you? Well, you would be wrong, because I'm too classy for that now. I mean, I've spent the last ten years working in veterinary medicine. Or I was doing art. 
or trying to write. You know what I mean. It means that I was fucking poor. Well, no more babies. It won't be long until Daddy is rolling naked on a bed covered in money, rubbing cocaine-tainted Benjamin Franklins all over my nether regions. God, I'm sorry I made myself a little nauseous there. I can only imagine you're vomiting uncontrollably. Never mind, because soon I will be driving my new Porsche, have a house in the Hamptons, and I'll be listening to Heb, who will sound as though he's articulating a viable reason for me to elect him president. Ah, let's see here. Uh, let's see. I'm taking a look at my new salary. Um going from the high end of lower class. Again, I'm going to carry the one. Now just check this against the median household income from my zip code to the lower end of middle class. Uh, that's not as... That's not really ex what I was thinking. Okay, jokes aside... This new job is an amazing chance. It is quite literally the opportunity of a lifetime. I can have a legitimate career for the first time in a decade. I will have good health benefits, a 401k, and most of all, a salary that allows me to do things like pay rent and eat. And that's going to be amazing. Because when you've spent years eating the equivalent of elementary school cafeteria chili mac, and that was during a good week, the idea of being able to afford, you know food it's 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 pretty appealing and it's taken me a decade of struggling to finally arrive solidly in the middle class now i i, I was pretty sure that when i was a child i was told that if i worked hard which i have and i played well with others which maybe i haven't i i, I would make it in america okay that's what we in the prey trade call a lie. And lies aren't going to get you anywhere, my friend. So skip over the denials and the deceptions and let's get right down to it, shall we? Okay, you want the truth? The truth is, it is now. And as it always has been, that some of us make it, some of us don't. You can work hard and succeed, or you can work your fingers to the bone and still fail. Most of us spend our entire lives barely treading water. My own father, a man who has never not worked, and has spent the last 25 years as an assistant manager for Walmart, which, in my yellow smiley face world, is a fate worse than being an hourly associate at a Walmart. I know, because I did that, and it was horrible. And I'm just talking about your average regular day-to-day -day American with no special benefits or particular hindrances, you know, a white male. And that just pissed off both ends of the political spectrum. My liberal friends are going to howl that being a white male is a special benefit, and my conservative family will howl because being a white male is hard in America today. They're both wrong. Being a white male is status quo. It's the median. And if you happen to not be a white male in America, you're starting behind the pack. How far back you are depends on how far you f are from being a white and male. White woman, Asian man, you're a few paces back. 
black Latino or an Asian woman, even more behind. Latino man, further still. If you're a black man in America, you're lucky to be allowed on the track in the first place. If you were anything other than white and male, you have to run faster and further just to make it to the comfortable middle where my father and me and most of America resides. And if you want to break ahead, if you need to be fucking Usain Bolt infused with Roadrunner DNA. I mean, think for just a second about the black men who've made it in America. They're almost universally either sports figures or musicians. And those guys, and they're guys, at the exception of Oprah, uh, she's obviously not a black man as far as anyone of us knows, they're rich. But they're not wealthy. And here, let me just let Chris Rock explain the difference between the two of them, because I, I don't think most of you understand. We got some rich ones. We don't got no fucking wealth. People go, oh, what's the difference? Here's the difference. Shaq is rich. The white man that signs his check is wealthy. Ah, <laughs> oh, here you go, Shaq. Go buy yourself a bouncing car. Bling, bling. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can get filthy, stinking, ungodly wealthy in America. But damn if it don't help if you're already in the top 10% when you get started. Bill Gates. He started from nothing. That's the story, right? Except it wasn't so much nothing. I mean, his dad was an attorney and a philanthropist. And you can't be a philanthropist without money. Because if you're somebody who doesn't have a shit ton of money, who gives it away, you're just a generous person. A philanthropist means you have enough money that you can give a shitload away and still have a lot of money. Jeff Bezos, his dad was an engineer for Exxon. Not an attorney money, but definitely not tar paper shack money either. Steve Jobs, well his dad was a, well he's a repo man. So, okay, yeah, Jobs had to start from the middle. But these guys are all new money based on being in the right place and the right time with the right idea. And yeah, that does happen in America and has for at least a century, but it's not what one would call the norm. No, no, the norm. What most rich Americans who have money, how they get that money is they were born with it. Here are the top five wealthiest families in the United States. The Waltons. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Good night Jim Bob. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 not those Waltons. The, the Walmart Waltons. Yeah, Sam Walton had, like, a little tiny country store when he started. But the current Walton family, the richest family in the United States, they got that money from Sam. The Cox, I'm sorry, Cokes, I keep getting those confused. Yeah, their fortune started in 1925, probably from run-running. The Mars family, wow, it's incredible that the candy people are the third wealthiest family in America. Their fortune started in 1911. The Cargill-McMillan family, 1865. The Cox 
family. You know, the head of the least hated, hated cable TV, uh, cable TV empires. 1898. These are old-fashioned dynasties. Fortunes handed down for generations just like the Rockefellers, the Hearst, or the Carnegies. These are not bootstrap families so much as having a servant slip your baby dinosaur skin boots, which are vile-grown on Isla Nubar, over your silk stocking-clad feetsies. That's the kind of families these are. 0.1% of the people in America have as much money as 90% of the rest of America. Now, I see these numbers are so big, it's hard to grasp them as some kind of real number. So let me try and put it in another way, something that most Americans, I think, will identify with. Let's say you and the family decide that you're going to get yourselves some delicious Kentucky Fried Chicken for dinner tonight. And you foolishly send your cousin Big Teddy out to pick up a 10-piece bucket and sides. Now, what happens is Big Teddy gets the dinner and he fucking eats that shit in the car. All the sides, the dinner rolls, and nine out of the ten pieces of succulent 11 herbed and spice wrapped chicken on the way back. So that when he gets there, all Big Teddy has is one tiny little wing. And he gives that wing to Cousin Elroy because he's Big Teddy's boy going back to when you guys were kids. And Elroy eats the good part of that wing, the little drumstick and the one with the two bones and the delicious meat in the center. And all the rest of the family has to eat that night is that shitty, shitty little piece of cartilage with no meat and barely any of the good batter on it. I mean, fuck you, Big Teddy. Fuck you, Elroy, you greedy bastards. Now the rest of us are having to lick the finger-licking good grease off the sides of the chicken barrel, you douchebags. God, I love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I really don't know why. The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tets up. I hated the Colonel with his wee beady eyes. (laughs) And that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to buy my chicken. Dad, how can you hate the colonel? Because he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken that makes you crave it fortnightly, smart arse. That was a lot of work to set up one drop. (laughs) And, And you know what is worse? What is incredible to me that the rest of us, the millions and millions of people who are sucking the wing stump, are happy to have it. Look at me. I'm dancing around like a schoolgirl tripping on Molly at the very thought of finally being safely in the middle class because I've seen what it's like below the middle, and that shit ain't pretty. I'm not even talking about those who've fallen entirely off the grid and are living on the street. I'm talking about those of us who are living paycheck to paycheck in a really terrible apartment, which they almost lost because they were one disaster away from losing everything, and that disaster happened. And they had to spend four years trying to hold everything together and just barely making it, who had to borrow money from friends, who finally wound up going hat in hand to the government and jumping through hoops for months just to keep from being one of the poor bastards on the streets, who only still has a home because the social safety net was kind enough to loan them the money to pay off their back rent and save them from evictions, and the soulless fuckwads comprising the 1% are doing everything they can that's in their power to make that safety net even more porous, like a cheap pair of fishnets yanked over a 400-pound low-went drag queen's thighs. 
Why? Why? Why are such a huge majority of Americans either too fat and pacified or just plain too fucking scared to speak up about the kind of wealth inequality that would make a Roman senator blush and go, um, guys, um, hey, I'm just saying maybe we ought to give these guys some more bread before they start using our assholes as finger puppets in the circus. What is it that keeps Americans from taking one look at the problem and going, wait a minute. These guys have all the money, and we should do something about that. You know what it is? It's just that they see that, and then they say, well, I see that. But just don't take any of mine. I mean, I work hard, and I don't want to help some lazy, poor person. They're afraid that if we help someone, if we take a little bit of what they have, then they won't have as much, and they're one step closer to being that lazy, poor person. I mean, look at the modern circus Maximus, or as we call it, the Republican Party, and their, quote, presidential, quote, debates, which were neither presidential nor debates. The clown-in-chief is one laughably ridiculous member of the U.S. 0.1% who's leading in the polls and feeding a line of deep and profound bullshit to the Republican base who lick it off his fingers like it was grease from the KFC bucket. He's telling them how he's going to make America great again, trademark, by magically rolling back the clock to 1953, where manufacturing jobs gave Americans a solid, secure middle-class life, making things like cars and Zenith television sets. He and the rest of the politicians on both sides of the aisle promise things will be just like they were back in the good old days, all the while seeming to forget it was they who tore down the fucking factories and moved them to East Bumblefuck, Kazakhstan, where they can pay their workers in flax seeds and live chickens rather than American dollars. The Republican base seems to forget that the unions they hate so much were such a huge part in keeping the factories open, and now that we've demolished the unions, there is no one there fighting for you, my friends, because they are gone. The Republicans and the politicians, they don't care. But hey, unions are the evil one. And Democrats... Oh, Democrats are no better. I mean, they just give lip service. It's like a blowjob from someone who really isn't into it. I mean, yeah, it feels okay, but you have a sneaking suspicion that it would feel a lot better if they were just a touch more enthusiastic. Anyone who believes the average Democratic politician bought and paid for by the special interest, which means money interest, is doing anything other than licking your tip has never experienced the sheer bliss of oral sex from someone who really cares about you. If, even if, you find a politician who seriously cares about income inequality and the state of our society when such a tiny percent of our people have all the money, even if you find them, he doesn't have a chance in hell at getting elected. Wait, did I just sort of imply that Bernie Sanders... gives good head? I think I did. Must be why when I listen to him it feels so good. I get it. I mean, we're all scared. We're all angry. We're all sure that if we don't toe the line, we're going to end up on the street. We're distracted by the circus, separated by our politics and our religions. We're busy looking at cat photos on the internet or watching the reality show featuring an as-yet-undiscovered child molester. We spend more time talking about who the true detective is rather than 
trying to detect a good reason why the rich don't pay their taxes. We are playing their game. They are doing this to us. And they have been doing it for a long, long time. You know how I describe the economic and social classes in this country? The upper class keeps all of the money, pays none of the taxes. The middle class pays all of the taxes, does all of the work. The poor are there just to scare the shit out of the middle class. Keep them showing up at those jobs. And so, you know what? You know what? I'm going to take this great paying job right in the belly of the beast, the financial industry, where I'm going to be a secretary. I'm not working with any actual money, but still. I'm going to take it and live it in New York City like I do. I'm going to lose a shitload of this new money in my taxes. And that's going to hurt. But you know what? I'm going to happily pay it. Because not long ago, it was other people's taxes, other middle-class people's taxes, that kept me from living in a van down by the river. Except I don't have a van, so it would be more like a cardboard box down by the subway tracks. And there's nothing motivational about that. That money that saved my ass came from middle-class people. People that are just like me. And I know that I will happily contribute to that. Because we all live in one big house. Rich, middle, poor, all of us chipping in to keep the lights on. And hey, someday Big Teddy and Elroy are going to think they're going to get all that delicious chicken. And we're going to show up and kick their ever-loving asses and take it from them. Because they can either share the chicken now, fairly and equitably, or hey, they can snack on cake waiting in line for the metaphorical guillotine. At least they better hope it's metaphorical. Because trust me, I know history, and those metaphorical guillotines can turn into real ones really fast in a culture and situation like ours. So Elroy, Big Teddy, the choice is yours. I think you better give us some of the chicken. That is it for the show this week. Thanks, as always, to the band Hypnostate for the show opener. Uh, you can find their work on Jamendo.com. Hey, you can find this show on iTunes and Stitcher. You could subscribe to us, rate, review. Hey, maybe I'll put a donut, a donut button, a donate button. You can donate donuts. Or better yet, you can give me a chicken wing nub. Mmm, God, that's good chicken. Hey, follow us on Twitter at TheHell underscore podcast. Find us on Facebook. All of the shows and the specials are at www.whatthehellpodcast.com. And you know, for me, Dave Bledsoe, and the entire fictional staff of the show, when I say that I've been down, I've been beat, tossed into the street, begging nickels and dimes to get my bottle of Jameson. Some say life is a lady, kind of soft, kind of shady, but she's no lady, she's a bitch. So eat the rich, roll them in a batter consisting of 11 secret herbs and spices and deep fry them until tender. Oh, God, I gotta go. I'm gonna go get some KFC. Damn. See you guys next week. You guys want some chicken? I want some chicken, yeah. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.